Welcome to the Path 11 podcast. I am your host, April Hanna. I am also the co-founder of Path 11 Productions. And aside from podcasting, we also make great films and documentaries, which can be found at path11productions.com. We have a special promo code just for our podcast listeners. The promo code is PATH11PODCAST, and if you go to our website, PATH11PRODUCTIONS.COM, and visit our shop page, put that promo code in, and you will receive 50% off of our Evolution DVD, which is the third film in our PATH Trilogy series. If you would like to become a sponsor of the PATH11 Podcast, please email me at info at PATH11PRODUCTIONS.COM. And now for this week's show. So today I'm joined with Tisha Morris, who is a feng shui expert, intuitive business and life coach, and self-help author of Clutter Intervention, How Your Stuff is Keeping You Stuck. And that is the book that we're going to be talking about today, but she's also the author of a few other books, Decorating with the Five Elements of Feng Shui, Mind, Body, Home, Transform Your Life One Room at a Time, and Feng Shui Your Life, The Quick Guide to Decluttering Your Home and Renewing Your Life. Prior to entering the healing arts, Tisha practiced law and obtained a fine arts degree in interior design. She's a certified feng shui consultant, life coach, energy healer, and yoga instructor. Tisha is based in Los Angeles and works one-on-one with clients in their home and businesses and also facilitates workshops and certification trainings. She is the founder of Earth Home School of Feng Shui, host of Feng Shui Your Life podcast, creator of the Earth Home product line, including the original smudge spray and Feng Shui for the Planet, a social initiative to help promote better living spaces across the globe. Welcome, Tisha. Thank you so much. So I'm really excited to talk about this clutter intervention book. I get teased a lot by my family and friends saying that I'm too much of a neat freak. Um, And um, I was also reading, I think it was maybe a few years ago, that sometimes the empathic personality can be very um, thrown off guard when they are around a lot of clutter. And I notice sometimes that if I am at some friend's houses or in a home that has a lot of clutter, it's not very organized. It's kind of hard for me to think. Mm, yes. So Absolutely. That, and I think we're becoming more and more aware of this, uh, everyone in their lives and realizing the effect of visual clutter. I, 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 I just make the difference between visual clutter, things that we can see, and then there's clutter that we hide in our closets that we, that we hide away so we don't see and that has a kind of a different impact. But what you're referring to is what I call visual clutter. And there's so many studies now about um, proving exactly what your experience is. So it's, uh, I think we're becoming, I think we're becoming more sensitive in general and just to being, becoming more aware of our environment and its impact on our, on our lives. Yeah. So before we get um, into the book, I would like you to introduce yourself a little bit more to our listeners. Um, It sounds like you have a really interesting path of life and how you came into learning about feng shui and wanting to teach it. I know you're also a yoga instructor. So if you can kind of bring us through your path and what brought you to where you are today, that'd be great. Sure. I I always say I came into feng shui through the back door <laughs> because it was it certainly was a winding path to get there and I never never would have thought growing up or even in my early adulthood that this would be my path and I just kind of followed the next carrot 
and I've ended up here. But uh, I started out as a practicing attorney uh, for for several years. I clerked for several judges and was really on that that law track. And except for the fact that the first day I started practicing law, I I did not like it and, and immediately knew that this was <laughs> I was going to have to divert this path somehow. And um, around that time, I. Um, what fell into my path was interior design. And uh, so I um, enrolled in an interior design degree program that I did at night while I practiced law um, during the day. And over a period of five, six years, um, I gradually decreased the the law practice and increased my holistic arts training and practice. And I, I, my first entree into the healing arts was yoga and then um, energy, doing energy work on people. And really what brought, of course, I had the interior design. I always had this this affinity of, of spaces and home. Uh, what I didn't realize at the time was my astrology, which I'm a cancer sign, Taurus moon in the fourth house. So it's like I could not have escaped working with the home. So had I known my astrology early on, it would have been a quicker quicker route um, to knowing really what my my purpose and what my where my skills lie. But I purchased a home uh, that needed a complete renovation and, and started to understand just how integrated our energy is with our home's energy. And it's almost like a marriage of like getting to know each other and your energies um, merging together and one affecting the other. And so that was when I began writing my book, Mind, Body, Home. And that's really what took me into formally studying what a uh, feng shui and realizing that this is, you know, something that the ancients <laughs> knew thousands of years ago. Uh, and, um, and so, uh, that, that's kind of what led me, led me to where I am now. Great. And I don't want to assume that all of our listeners know what feng shui is. So, um, before we kind of use the term a little bit more, can you explain, uh, this ancient, you know, technique that has been used, like you said, for thousands of years and what exactly it is, how people use it. Sure. So yeah, it is thousands of years old. It's no one really knows exactly how far it dates back because it was, uh, just passed down um, orally, uh, and it's from China and it is all about aligning our spaces, uh, in a way that in a harmonious way and, uh, to bring in beneficial energy it's really about the flow of your space. There's so many aspects to it. There's the five elements of which I wrote a book about that, of, of um, <clears throat> how to arrange the five elements within your home to bring about the most harmonious energy, which really you're just replicating nature um, using using uh, uh, everyday items. Um, and then there's, um, there's, just, there's so many different facets to feng shui. But overall, it's really just um, it's like acupuncture for the home. It's like getting your inner home's energy, uh, in alignment, just as you would your own body. And that's actually the, the jump I made from energy healing to feng shui. I realized, you know, working with, with the energy body, uh, people's energy bodies is the same as working on a home's energy body. And that's actually kind of what, what took me into, uh, the home. And there's aspects of space clearing where you're clearing the energy in the home. Um, so the, you know, I, the word feng shui was the closest thing I could come to, 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 to call what I was doing. And even now I, I, I have my own flavor of working in spaces and even the way I teach, um, is, is kind of my own, my own brand in a way, because 
I, my goal is to create supportive spaces for people uh, and whatever that means and for people to love their home and their space and want to come home and let it nurture them and, and, and be, feel safe and expanding at the same time. Uh, and so, so many people come home to challenging spaces that just is another another thorn in their side. <laughs> and that's the last thing the home space needs to be. And this is also true for businesses as well. Yeah. And, you know, right in the beginning of your book, you talk about that the average home has about 300,000 articles in it. Pieces right. of, I've, you know, I thought about that. I was like, oh my goodness, <laughs> that's amazing. I mean, I'm sure, you know, anybody that reads your book, right? The, well, this was my process. You know, the first thing I did was that was in the very beginning of your book. And I was like, oh my gosh, let me think about this. But, you know, when you think about all the little things that you have in your drawers and stuff like that, it's like, wow, that really could be possible. Maybe I do have that much stuff. So, you know, one of the things that I found in reading your book was having true self reflection in the moment of reading it, you know, reading a chapter and then looking around and reading a chapter about the closets and taking a look at my closets, reading about the section on clothes and saying, gosh, how old is that dress that I have in there? Did I wear it to an interview? Did I used to wear that for work? So, um, you know, that's one of the things I really enjoyed about your book is the self-reflection. I don't think that people can run away from their homes and what they are like without reflecting when they're reading your book. And you do talk about how our external space and, you know, the space in which we live in is also a direct uh, correlation to how we're feeling internally. Yeah. Well, I love that I love that you started out saying that you're a neat freak because I, and in some ways I kind of wrote this book for, for the neat, for the neat freaks out there. And also for the, the, the people who prefer more things around them, because my approach to clutter is not about the quantity, but about the quality of the items that you're holding on to. And, um, in the introduction, I, I talk about the inspiration behind writing the book was, was from my mom who was a neat freak and organized, like the most organized person on the planet with labels and color coded and everything. And, and no one escapes clutter and, uh, in the, in the way that I, uh, the, the way that I approach it. And it's anything from your past that's keeping you stuck from moving into uh, the future. And so this, if you, going back to your, you had the, the 300,000 items in your home, all those items were, uh, acquired before this moment right now, unless you just came home from the store or just got a package that got dropped off on your doorstep. Um, and so it's really about sifting and, 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 and separating the wheat from the chaff of, does this really represent who I am today and or, and or who I want to be? And really using that as a, um, a definitive marker because everything in your home, like you just said, is a mirror of ourselves. And what are we putting out? What are we beaming out to the universe as to, to show who we are of these 300,000 items in our home? You know, are 100,000 of them uh, you from college or you from even last year in a different occupation? And so it really um, mirrors our identity. And so we have to be mindful of, is this the identity of who I really am or want to be? Yeah. And, you know, when I read that part in the book, too, I was like, gosh, she's so right. Everything 
in my place right now is all from the past. Like you said, unless you've got something today, you know, everything really is a representation of the past. And um, I thought it was interesting, too, about when you were talking in the book about collecting things, people who collect certain things. Um, and then I also thought about sometimes of family influences or friends influences where maybe they might know that we like uh, dragonflies or you use the example of Santa Clauses. And, you know, then all of a sudden people can be like, oh, well, I'm just going to identify her with dragonflies all the time. So I'm going to buy her stuff that only has dragonflies and, and Santa Clauses or, you know, my mom loves Santa Clauses. So now she's going to gift me San a Santa Claus each year for my Santa Claus collection. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Collections are funny. They are a like hyper representation of some, some identity aspect that hasn't been fully uh, fully realized in some way. You know, it's the reason like boys or even adult men collect baseball cards. You know, it's an aspect of this, it's its unrealized aspect of being kind of this hero or being, being a star that doesn't even have to be about baseball. And, you know, when we start to lose interest in whatever we're collecting, it's because we're fulfilling that whatever that is that we're, we're really wanting or needing. Uh, and so, for for example, in the baseball collection example, when a grown man starts to have you know success in, in his work and business, then the baseball collection won't be as interesting. Yeah, and you do have a section as well in the book talking about that identity crisis. And I'd like you to talk about, you know, how maybe even sometimes our ego comes into attaching to identity through certain things, whether it be our clothes, um, the awards that we get from work, uh, you know, those collections, you know, we're all trying to seek, the ego seeks to be separate, to be, um, you know, I guess, recognized in some way to be special. And through your book, you know, as you go through each different types of things that people either collect or hang on to, um, or have in their homes, that was another theme that really came out just as, as human beings, we're trying to figure out who, who am I, you know, what does this mean now that I collect this or I have this, or this represents me. It's kind of like the ego saying, you know, I need some sort of identity. So let me surround my whole world with these physical objects and things. Yeah, you, you said it exactly. And I, when I started on this journey of writing this book, I really explored the why of why, why we hold on to things or why we even want things to begin with. Um, because I, I believe if we know the why, then, then the, how we, we let it go or whether we, um, make that determination to, keep it or let it go is, is much easier. And so when I started to realize the why I realized it all comes down to identity and it really, our, our obsession or possession with things begins, um, around age two, when we go through individuation and we really never grow out of that. And that, cause that is the ego formation. And so we, that age, we realize that we are separate from our toy. Uh, and, and so we, that begins the beginning of possession. And so this is my green truck and, or this is my red ball and it's my, mine, mine. And so we begin to identify with that green truck. This green truck is me and mine. And that's represents that, um, uh, me as a child, you know, it's obviously in the subconscious level of that age. And we really never, we, that continues on for the rest of our life. And now it's, you know, this is, you know, um, 
I use the example of, you know, I, uh, of phones, you know, I identify with the rose gold iPhone, whereas someone else, you know, identifies with the Samsung, uh, you know, more techie phone. And so everything that we have represents an identity of ourself. And so when you go through the, if you come across an item in your home that you're not sure why you're still keeping and you're kind of, tug, it's a little bit of a tug of war of, to get rid of it or not, think about the identity that you associate with that. And so much of the identities are obviously past related and these identities that we still uh, are holding on to, even if they're not applicable uh, anymore, because they served us in some, in some way where we have still have unresolved um, uh, wounds or grief from it. Uh, it could be identity around having been married and maybe you were married to uh, a successful uh, business person. And, and, and that was, so it's always the identity even goes a step beyond what you even think it is. It's not just being married, but it's like being married and having the, the social standing that you had and that's, uh, and now you've divorced. And so not only the identity of, uh, being single now, but maybe a different social uh, status that you're still holding on to and really getting really true with yourself and clear about, if that past identity is in the past, if it's still serving you, when you let go of that, which it's represented through an item, um, it frees up so much energy and space. And this is really where the healing takes place. Uh, you can then step into who you are now. And this applies with it's, whether it's a career, um, any kind of relationship. Even we get we hang on to our stories, um, cities that we've lived in, it's really it runs the gamut of, and you explained it really well in introducing this question of uh, the ego hanging on to any kind of identity uh, to make us um, to give us some identity in the world. Yeah. Yeah, you also gave a great example in the book about looking at, and I'm probably going to mess up the wording a little bit here, but about looking at our homes very similar to when we create vision boards. And you do talk about law of attraction and manifesting. And if you think about if anybody or any of our listeners, I'm sure many of them have either uh, made a vision board themselves or know the concept of a vision board. It's like you basically put on there what it is that you're trying to manifest and bring into your life. And then when you gave that metaphor of now picturing your living surroundings as a live vision board and what that looks like. And, um, that I, that was just a, a great way to look at it. I love that example. Great. Thanks. Yeah. Think about pasting 300,000 items on a vision board <laughs> and seeing which ones really you want to be manifesting, you know, or what it represents of what you are manifesting or what, what it represents that you're staying, staying in. Uh, because our our home is it's really a literal is a literal like living vision board. Our home is like our second skin, and it just like our thoughts, emotions are beaming out energy. Our home is just a second layer of that. Our home is a container of our emotions, of our memories, of our dreams. It's a, it's it's a it's a living it's a living body that's an extension of ourself. And this is a lot of what feng shui and feng shui use the Bagua map and with different areas of your home represent different areas of your life. And you want to, you know, be mindful of what you have in those areas. For example, in your wealth corner, you know, you don't want a bunch of junk um, <laughs> blocking your wealth. And it's very simple, which is really decluttering uh, is the most powerful aspect of that. And so if you think about uh, your home as just being a big satellite 
or a projector of energy out into the world, you really start to get get you have to get clear on what what energy you're beaming out, and uh, so that that's kind of the the impetus of that that literal metaphor of your house being a, a vision board. Yeah. And you also give examples in the book about like when you do declutter or you release things and let go that your life can also change and what's happening now. And if I think of two examples of uh, one client that I was working with who was single and she wanted to um, date again and have love in her life and a relationship. And I was thinking about feng shui during our session. And I said, what does your closet look like? I said, do you have room for anybody to move their clothes into your closet? And, you know, what do you keep on the side of your bed that you're not sleeping on? Is it totally clean or do you have all your laundry piled up and you just kind of, you know, sneak in the one side of your bed? And um, I think I had read somewhere in feng shui that it's good to have red in the bedroom or something to represent love or to light a candle or um, like a pink candle or something to bring that energy in. And we just both started laughing. And she said, well, when I think about my closet, she's like, it's completely full of all of my stuff. There is no room for anybody to kind of move their stuff into here. So we, we kind of had a discussion about decluttering to see uh, ways in which she can make room and energy for another person to come in to live with her if that was truly what she wanted. Um, another example that came to mind when I was reading your book about how we can sometimes get, uh, stuck in past relationships or things that we shared with a, a partner or maybe even people who are grieving or are widowed, you know, a really hard, uh, thing for many people to do is to throw out their deceased loved one's clothes or certain things that bring memories. And sometimes when widows really are ready to move forward in their relationships, sometimes the energy of the deceased spouse really can overcompensate the entire home as if they're still together. The energy of the deceased is still very much alive in the home, which can also make it a bit of a roadblock for them to move forward. What, what do you think about that? Absolutely. Uh, you know, when it comes to um, deceased loved ones, uh, releasing their items is part of the healing process. And the and it's not something to be rushed. And it's also something not to be get stuck in as well. Uh, it, it needs to be an ongoing process. And it could take years, uh, in some cases of a, like a spouse. And it's such a time to be compassionate and gentle with yourself in that process. And the amount of stuff uh, that are still, is still in the home is a mirror of where you are in the process, in the grieving process with that person. And Absolutely. it's really just about uh, awareness. And, you know, with grief, it's, it, like I said, it's something that you want to keep uh, keep alive, uh, keep, keep the grief, grieving process going so that you don't get stuck, uh, for years in it. And yet also taking your time with it as well. Uh, so, and then, but you're right, regardless of what the relationship, whether it was a, from a, from a, someone who's deceased or just someone, uh, that, that from a breakup, definitely items from that relationship that you're hanging on to represents a, a cord that you still have with this person. And it very much can block, block someone new coming in. Uh, or you can probably attract someone in, but it's going to replicate the same issues in that relationship from the prior relationship. So, but yeah, definitely when working with clients, absolutely. I always like you, it's like, 
you know, what are you still hanging on to from the past relationship or relationships? It doesn't have to be the previous one. It could be one date back from, you know, 10, 15 years ago. And it may not even be that person that you're still attached to. It may be what that person represents uh, to you. Uh, so I give a story in my book about uh, how I came across uh, wedding gifts uh, from when I was married and divorced in 2001. And this was just like a couple years ago in my, the my childhood room closet, I came across gifts from this marriage. And I was just like, what? Cause I've moved like a ridiculous amount of times. Uh, and, um, and I realized this was like the last thread and it wasn't anything to do with that, per the person, my ex, um, it was about what that marriage represented it was it was it was a, a very socially approved relation her marriage with my family with society and uh so there was still this little piece of identity that i was still hanging on to that was represented through those wedding gifts um that needed to go and um since then i've uh actually i'm getting my marriage license today for uh getting married in t two weeks so oh congratulations um, yeah thank you <laughs> Awesome. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that story. And I, I, what I really like too, and maybe, you know, I haven't spoken to many feng shui consultants, but one of the things that I enjoyed about your writing and even as I'm interviewing you is I like how you delve into that emotional aspect of the item and that you're really looking beyond what people are collecting or what objects are, but you're going more to the emotional connection to them and the meaning of what that is. Thank you for recognizing that. Um, now, the other thing that you bring up, too, is digital clutter. <laughs> uh, and, okay, I'm going to admit this, people. I hoard <laughs> my digital photos. I have 4,000 photos on my iPhone. Now, one, my side hobby is photography, so I love it. But I had to buy extra storage space because my phone wasn't was, like, starting to break down. And I went to the Apple store, and they're like, uh, do you really need 4,000 photos on your, do you really look at these? I'm like, I really do go through them quite a bit because I do love, you know, photographs and stuff like that. But, um, when I came to the chapter of digital clutter, you know, it's interesting because I'm very affected physically by my surroundings, but talk to me about my digital photography. And I'm like, not bothered by 4,000 pictures on my phone. Cause it's not <laughs> in, in my site. Um, but yeah, can you talk about digital clutter too? Yeah, I talk about it as the next big clutter clutter revolution, and this isn't you know going to be a future issue with you know with the millennial age. I mean, even our our era. Oh, I'm, I'm not sure. I'm projecting my age onto you. Um, <laughs> you're, you're probably millennial, but um, no, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be 41 this year. Oh, okay. Um, so you know we're moving from the third, what I call the third dimension, which is the physical, our physical tangible world into more of what I call the fourth dimension, which is the mental, mental kind of invisible space, the, you know, the kind of the cloud, it's where our thoughts and emotions hang out that we can't see, but we know they're there. And we're moving more and more into the, from the third to the fourth. And this is part of why our clutter, clutter intervention is needed right now, because we're, uh, even with like the baby boomer generation, 
they know they have too much stuff and the walls are coming in on them because they want to lighten up as well. But they have stuff from their parents' generation they still have. They have stuff from their kids who've gone to college and they're just getting squeezed in between it and they're wanting to lighten their load. And so it's a real, it's a real problem that I've seen with the baby boomer generation. Um, our generation similar in that like we grew up with a lot of stuff and this is just how you live and like and yet it doesn't feel good anymore and then the younger generations it's just it's just a digital everything lives in the digital world and there's some great benefits of that because you know, it does remove the visual clutter that, you know, that we talked about that is, that really does affect, affect us. Um, you know, I'm, I'm as paperless as I can possibly be. I don't like a lot of stuff around me. So I, I think there's a lot of benefit of having digital storage as opposed to filing cabinets. And yet the fourth dimension is our mental space. And so, uh, you know, as we, as our cloud expands, as our own personal clouds expand, you know, it does, it does get cloudy, you know, or it has the potential to get cloudy and, uh, and to cloud our, our mind, uh, to where, you know, you know, it'll be interesting to see, and this is an ongoing, you know, ongoing, uh, you know, un unfolding of, of how it will affect us on the, on the level of clutter. I'm interested to see how your 4,000, if it goes to 8,000, if it's, if you start to feel like, you know, like you did when you're in a visually cluttered space or not. So it's, it's a, it's going to be interesting to see. Yes, I actually did go and I deleted about a thousand because I also love quotes. So I screenshot them for, you know, my Instagram accounts and, you know, stuff for my business uh, social media. But then I realized, like, I really don't need them. They're already out there already. So uh, there was definitely a lot that I could let go of. But it wasn't until, you know, I have people laughing at me at the Apple store saying, <laughs> uh, ma'am, 4,000, <laughs> you know. Uh, yeah, so... Actually, the millennials put me in check there. Um, right. <laughs> well, that's the, um, the millennials. They actually live more in the moment, like with the Snapchat and the stories that disappear. It's like a, it's like the I used the example in my book of those Tibetan um, the uh, sand paintings that they spend all this time and they just they just erase it and just dis disappears. And they're fine with that. And the millennials are a little bit like that too. It's like, they don't even have to save like a lot of their moments. It's just, they're, they're fleeting. And in some ways I give them millennials a little bit of cred on that. It's like just living in the moment. So it's kind of yeah. cool. Absolutely. And uh, the next portion that I want to talk about are kind of the common excuses that when people are thinking about going through their stuff, um, I felt like you hit all of them, um, and I'd like to read them for the listeners. So if the listeners are thinking about, okay, well, maybe I can get rid of a couple of things or donate them, you know, as you're looking through your stuff, you might come up with the excuse of, well, this was a gift that was given to me by my best friend. I'm going to hang on to this just in case I need to use it. Um, I'll get it fixed if it's broken and not working. Um, if they're parents and they have kids, I'm going to save this for my children. Uh, just at Christmas, my mom handed me an old platter that we used to use for Thanksgiving with this big ugly turkey on it. <laughs> She's like, I, I just want you to have this in case, you know, when I die someday. And, you know, so I inherited this ugly turkey platter that would be something that I would put out on the table. Maybe not, but I, you know, she gave it to me. Um, 
Another excuse would be, well, this is worth a lot of money. Uh, another people who are environmentally conscious would say, well, what's the point of throwing this out or donating it? And I don't know where it's going to go. I don't want to add it to the landfills. And then if they have a spouse, that's the collector. It's all my spouse's stuff. Yeah, it's so funny. We're so funny. Uh, the excuses we come up with are, um, which, which is just the ego, ego holding on to an old identity is really with, with each of those in my book, I debunk them and really what's at the, at the root of it. And, uh, and, and really we keep tracing it back. It comes back to the ego hanging on to a past identity or also guilt. Guilt is a big one and guilt pulls on our strings big time without us, us knowing. And what happens is, you know, when we're going through a little purge or decluttering or, you know, cleaning out our closet or whatever, we're, we're going, we're doing well, we're on a roll and all of a sudden we stop. And then suddenly it's like, oh, I need to go do something else. And what really happened is you ran across an item that, that triggered some emotion that you're not even aware of. And we're all avoiding emotion. We're all avoiding feeling and processing these things, um, whether it's something that triggers a guilt. Um, you know, it could be a, a blouse with the, the price tag still on it and feeling guilty for having spent the money and never wear it. It could be a gift that you feel guilty of not displaying it. Um, and so that the guilt is a big, is a big player that, that can come out um, through our things as well. Yeah. Now, when I've talked to some clients, um, you know, I watched one of the documentaries on Netflix about minimalism, uh, you know, found that really interesting, too, because there's such a freedom when you do let go of some of this stuff. You know, if you really had to pack up and and leave today or whatever the case may be, you know, it'd be good to know that you don't have all of this stuff kind of like bogging you down. Um, but, you know, I've had some people say, well, but how do how do I begin? How do I know what to let go of? Because some things I really do love. And, you know, people almost can get overwhelmed with even starting the process. Right. And, you know, I'm not a minimal. I love that documentary, by the way. Um, but I am not a minimalist. I love things. I, I, I appreciate the physical, tangible world. And what's interesting is actually decluttering will, will, allow you to appreciate things even more because you're sifting out things that you're not, not really enjoying to where you can uh, enjoy the things that you really love. And that's really the beauty of, of decluttering. And sometimes people even find things that they forgot about and like, Oh my gosh, I love this. Or sometimes people find money too. <laughs> um, but you know, I, I'm not a, I'm not a, um, you know, I don't proclaim to, or I don't, push minimalism on people, whatever that means to someone. Uh, to me, decluttering is more of, of getting in touch with who you really are and uh, helping you move forward um, in the life you want to be living. So actually, I forgot your question, um, but <laughs> maybe yeah, I well, Yeah, you did. Yeah, you're definitely hitting on it. It's kind of like, where do people begin? And, oh, right. yes. you know, how do they know really what what they should get rid of. And you yeah. kind of touched upon it with things bringing you joy. Um, you mentioned her book in your book, Maria Kondo. Am I getting the name right? Yeah. Marie Kondo. Yes. Yeah. Um, I love that book because, you know, at first, sometimes when you are decluttering or looking at all of this stuff, do we really need all of these belongings? Um, you know, 
you, you kind of go through some guilt, or at least I went through some guilt, like, gosh, yeah, do I really need all this stuff? But what helped me with her book was also saying, but what do you love? You know, when you look at something and you hold it, if it brings you joy, or if that one shirt that you have just makes you feel so good and it's comfortable, um, you know, to surround yourself, like you had said, making home a place that you feel really safe and comfortable in and surrounded by things that you love. I thought that that, when I read that in her book, that that was such a key thing of looking around stuff like, well, I don't really love that. It looks okay. But am I totally in love with those sunflowers over there? No, not really. You know, and uh, I did that once with uh, couch pillows. I had red and I said, well, I really like the combination of brown and blue better. Um, I think I'd love blue pillows instead of red. And I donated the red ones and went out and bought blue ones uh, to just have that different sense of uh, comfort when I came home. Yeah. So yeah, her standard chooses is, is, does it spark joy, which it's a great, it's a great, even the word spark is important to to put with the joy because it invokes kind of that energy of sparking, like inspiring joy. So I think it's a great standard um, to use. Sometimes when we start to hit on those emotion filled items, we can kind of lose perspective of what joy is <laughs> um, sometimes. And so, you know, one, one of the very practical tips that I tell people is start with the easy stuff, start with things that, you know, you don't want that it's easy to put in the bag. Uh, and then, cause that's going to help free up the energy and, and create some space and kind of get you, get the ball rolling. Um, but you know, we all have a natural desire and proclivity to, uh, declutter to, it's, it's part of the, it's part of the, the five element cycle of Chinese medicine. It's the releasing, you know, we accumulate things and release things. It's a very normal process. And yet we, we kind of, we kind of got off track with it. <laughs> and I think it's because of, um, these items are more than just the item, just these physical items. They're items that we, we identify with or that have emotion associated with them. And so that's where we kind of get stuck. Um, so, you know, try to get the, try to have an, a regular out, outflow of things on a regular basis, uh, of things that are, you know, easy to get rid of. Um, and then, you know, don't, don't start with the, basement of the boxes of family photos from years ago, you know, <laughs> you're not going to get very far you're gonna, in your decluttering, um, uh, project. Um, but you know, when you have those moments of where you're on a roll and, and just in, inspired to get rid of things, that's the best time to go with it. And it's hard to force, it's hard to force it. But when you have that natural desire, um, and we all have it. It's, it's like, we're like animals. It's like that, that there's, you know, sometimes it's in the spring cleaning or maybe it's in the winter. Uh, maybe it's when you've you know, bought something new and you, you want to clear out your closet to put it in, or maybe you're wanting new things. And so you clear out, so there is a normal process. And if you go with that and tap into your normal, um, that normal process within yourself, it's going to be a lot easier. Yeah. Now I'd like to just switch gears a little bit, um, just moving a little bit away from the book. And I'd like you to talk a little bit more. You have some interesting things on your website. Um, the smudge spray, I'd like to hear about that. And you also have a feng shui app, uh, that people can download, but, uh, can you tell me a little bit of, um, what the inspiration was behind making the smudge spray and what exactly is it? Yeah. So it's, it's a spray that's used in lieu of burning sage. Um, burning sage is a, is a common, a method, you know, that, that that's originated with Native American traditions of clearing space, clearing the energy in spaces. And so I, uh, 
that's one of my services that I do for people. And, and several years ago, I, I, uh, I was getting tired of coming home smelling like smoke. And so, and I was like, there's gotta be a cleaner way to clear spaces. And also it's gotta be a way to bottle myself so I can be in homes without being in them. And so I, um, I kind of channeled this formula and, um, and so it's been out for since like 2010. And, uh, so it's in a lot of stores across the country, um, and available, available on my uh, website as well. It's very, very, it's actually more effective than burning sage in most cases. So it's, it's, a uh, it's very, very potent. <laughs> and, and why is it more effective? I mean, I see, I could tell from the labels that there's eucalyptus in there. There's some cedar wood. What is the difference with combining all of those together than a typical sage stick? Yeah. So sage is, is just, is just a clear, uh, it clears the energy very, it's very effective. Don't get me wrong. Um, and when I'm at clearing space, like a clearing some serious, some serious crap <laughs> for lack of a better word, uh, I will use a combination of methods, um, in addition to my spray, but for, um, for just good general clearing the spray, it, it has the same clearing properties of sage, but it also, uh, has it's a rose water base. So it also lifts the, the inner, uh, raises the vibration within the space. Um, so it kind of, cause with, when you space clear, you always want to, um, for, for listeners, if you do space clearing, you always want to have an intention of why you're clearing. And so then you clear, and then you want to, after that, invoke a new, new intention or new energy into the space. Because once you clear, it's like a blank canvas. And so you want to infuse a new, uh, new energy, new intention into it. And so with my spray, my spray uh, it has the clearing properties, but it also invokes uh, kind of this higher vibration energy into the space um, as well. Yeah, and we we have had guests, um, you know, talking about essential oils and the property of the oils. And I know that the rose oil does hold one of the highest vibrations um, of essential oils as well. So when you're talking about that... Right. I know our listeners are familiar with that as well. Um, okay, the other thing I'd like you to talk to our listeners about is you're the founder of Earth Home School of Feng Shui. So people who are interested in maybe learning more about this, turning this into a career, what do you offer at your your Earth Home School of Feng Shui? So, yeah, I have uh, my next uh, course start or my next online course starts February 12th, and I've been doing these trainings for. Um, someone just asked me yesterday since 2011. So I guess that's what, five years? Oh no, that's seven years. Uh, I usually hold them about three or four times a year and, um, online. And also I do an in-person one about once or twice a year. My next one is going to be in, um, LA in April. And so, yeah, you know, I, I, this is one of my favorite things about what I do. And that, that is to teach people to do what I do. <laughs> and I'm such a, my mission is to, to bring this information and this work to as many spaces on the globe as possible. And the best way I know to do that is to teach people how to do it and, and for them to go out into the world, um, as well to, to multiply, multiply myself as much as possible. And, uh, and I have people, when I had the online course, I do have people from all over the world that participate and take it. And it's just, it's very rewarding to me and, and seeing what my students are, are doing, uh, in the world, it just really makes me so happy. I just was on Facebook and one of my students is doing a workshop in her, in her area on uh, feng shui for after the divorce process. And just these, these kinds of things makes me so happy to see, um, the amazing work they're doing. So, Yeah. 
Wow. Wonderful. And you're also a podcast host yourself. So, you know, if our listeners would like to head on over to your podcast and learn more about feng shui, yours is feng shui your life. Yes, it is. I'm getting ready to switch that over in a few months to clutter intervention and going to have that as my uh, topic. But there's some amazing, amazing interviews, um, existing interviews from the last year or I guess two years on my Feng Shui Life podcast of some amazing uh, authors and healers and things like that. So definitely worth checking out. Yeah. And if our listeners would like to learn more about you, they can go to your website, which is tishamorris.com, T-I-S-H-A-M-O-R-R-I-S.com. Well, thank you so much for your time. I really enjoyed your book. Um, I have the rest of the afternoon off, so I've been inspired to take a look at my closets and uh, go through some of those old clothes. I think I have, I think my thing would probably be clothes. And like I said, when I was looking and I have dresses that I haven't worn since, you know, I work for myself now. So when I used to have to dress up and go to work, uh, they've been in there for about three or four years. And I don't think that I have worn them, but it was kind of, you know, the just in case excuse. Um, so thank you. You definitely have inspired me personally, and I'm looking forward to clearing out a little more of my clutter. And I really enjoyed our interview. Thank you so much. It's been my, my pleasure. If you want more information about our films, visit our website, path11productions.com, to purchase DVDs or to rent and stream each film. You can also find our trilogy of films on iTunes, Amazon Prime, and Gaia.com. You can still use our smartphone app for both Android and iPhones. Just search for Path 11 in the Google Play App Store, or if on an iPhone, look for Path 11 in the iOS App Store. Catch you next time!